Before They Were Beatles, episode 13, First Tour. This is the story of how one of thousands of amateur British schoolboy skiffle bands in the mid-1950s evolved into the beginnings of the greatest band in popular history. It's a story of hope, creativity and exploring musical boundaries. It's also a story of tragedy, coincidence and at times just sheer luck. It is the story of beginnings, the story of John, Paul, George and Ringo before they were Beatles. I'm your host, Alan J. Porter. Part 1, May the 3rd, 1960. As the Silver Beatles struggled, Richard Starkey was facing the decision as to whether he should become a full-time professional musician. Rory Storm and the Hurricanes had been booked for a full summer season at the Butlins Holiday Camp in Pathelli, Wales, for a £25 a week headlining at the Rock and Calypso Ballroom. The lengthy and lucrative summertime gig had been arranged through Rory Storm's sister, Iris Caldwell, who was a redcoat at the camp. A summer job at Butlins was also known to be a good starting point for the UK's burgeoning pop stars. Cliff Richard and Joe Brown would get their starts there too. Another attraction was that the holiday company had its own record label. Ringo was reluctant to give up his day job at Hunts Engineering. His parents, Elsie and Harry, wanted him to complete his apprenticeship and get a trade. But Richie was eventually persuaded by the prospect of extra money and the fact that Rory had promised to introduce a new star time spotlight for his drummer. And it wasn't long before Richard Starkey was going under the name Ringo Starr. His mind was made up. He resigned from Hunts and would spend the summer of 1960 at Butlins. Before leaving for North Wales, the Hurricanes were scheduled to play for Alan Williams at the Larry Parnes concert. Despite the tragic death of Eddie Cochran, his friend Gene Vincent, still recovering from his injuries of broken ribs and a collarbone, discharged himself from hospital to honour the date he had agreed to play in Liverpool. The greatest show ever to be staged was promoted under the banner of Jacaranda Enterprises by arrangement with Larry Parnes, and was scheduled to last three hours on the 3rd of May 1960, and would be held at the 6,000-seat sports arena near Prince's Docks. The show was opened by the struggling Gene Vincent, who paid tribute to his last friend with an emotional rendition of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Although still too injured to perform his usual set and using the microphone stand for support, Vincent introduced the other acts from the Pond's stable. In the absence of the late Eddie Cochran, the task of headlining the concert fell to American blues singer Davy Jones. Jones was followed by several of Pond's B-string acts, and it's obvious from the lineup that Pond's was still far from convinced about the potential of Williams's greatest show ever. Nero and his gladiators, Lance Fortune, Dean Webb, The Viscounts, Julian X, Colin Green and the Beat Boys were hardly the cream of Parnes' stable of the stars, and probably not any more skilled, although undoubtedly better polished, than the local groups that Alan Williams supplied. The local boys followed after the interval. 
The Liverpool lineup assembled by Williams included Rory Storm and the Hurricanes with Ringo on drums, Cass and the Casanovas, Jerry and the Pacemakers, Mal Perry and the Connaughts. A photograph taken at this concert is in fact the earliest known picture of Ringo playing on stage. Unfortunately, a tape recording made of this unique concert was erased shortly afterwards. Amongst the crowd sat Paul, John, George and Stuart. Alan Williams was still far from convinced of their potential and had not included them. After the show, Parnes was so impressed by the local bands that he asked Alan Williams to arrange a series of auditions so Parnes could find backing bands for some of his solo acts during their upcoming summer tours. Stuart Sutcliffe was angry at the Silver Beatles' exclusion from a concert that had been arranged and promoted by their so-called manager, and he approached Alan Williams for an explanation. As a peace offering to Stuart, Williams offered to make sure that the Silver Beatles were shortlisted for the Parnes auditions. Part 2, May the 5th. 1960. Within a couple of days of making his promise, Alan Williams solved the Silver Beatles' other outstanding problem, their lack of a drummer. On the 5th of May, he introduced them to Tommy Moore. Since agreeing to do something for Stewart's group as he saw them, Williams had been asking around if anybody knew a drummer, and Brian Casser of Cass and the Casanovas suggested Tommy Moore. Williams made a trip to the Garston Bottle Works where Moore drove a forklift for a living. He found the drummer and offered him the job, which Tommy accepted. Tommy Moore and John Lennon disliked each other from almost the moment they met. John took to continuously throwing caustic remarks at the drummer, particularly about his advanced age, for Tommy was 26 and more of a jazz fan than a rocker. But with an experienced drummer now in the lineup, Williams thought he had a real group and offered them a regular spot as the backup band at the Jacaranda Coffee Club. They could play a regular spot when Lord Woodbine and his friends were on a break. Events started to move quickly as the following day, 6th of May, a letter arrived at the Jacaranda from Mark Forster, assistant to Larry Parnes, and the letter confirmed Parnes' request for a series of auditions and added more detail. To quote the letter, quote, Duffy Power will be touring Scotland from June 2nd to June 11th inclusive, and Johnny Gentle will be touring Scotland from June 16th to June 25th. For these two periods as agreed, we are willing to pay your groups £120 plus the fares from Liverpool. Should you agree to these suggestions, we will arrange for Duffy and Johnny, who incidentally is a Liverpool boy, to travel up to Liverpool to rehearse with your groups towards the end of May. We will also make arrangements for Mr Parnes to come and audition your groups to select the most suitable. He will also bring Billy Fury, as Billy we want one of these four groups for his own personal use. Incidentally, the idea of Billy wanting a group from his hometown will provide several interesting press stories and publicity tie-ups. End quote. The four groups finally chosen for the audition as per Parnes' letter were Jerry and the Pacemakers, Cass and the Casanova, Cliff Roberts and the Rockers, and Derry and the Seniors. But not forgetting his promise to Stuart, Alan Williams has added the Silver Beatles to the list, even though it pushed the number of bands above the, the amount specified by Parnes. The letter from Parnes' office turned out to be inaccurate in terms of tour dates, as Johnny's Gentle's tour of Scotland was in fact scheduled for later in May, and as a result the auditions were hastily arranged for the 10th. Part 3, May 10th, 1960. The audition was held at the Wyvern Social Club at 108 Seal Street. The club had recently been leased by Williams, who had plans to turn it into a top nightclub. In fact, Williams eventually opened the Blue Angel Club at the location the following year. For the moment, it provided more room than the Jacaranda and could easily accommodate the five Hopewell groups and the Pans entourage. The audition session was a chance for Liverpool boys to get the big break and hook up with the most successful manager and promoter in the UK at the time. The presence of a couple of local Liverpool boys who had already made it, Billy Fury and Johnny Gentle, gave the event an even greater mystique for the struggling groups. The audition also attracted members of several groups that had not been selected, 
notably Rory Storm, who turned up to see and be seen, and maybe snatch a few minutes of the big boys from London. A couple of attendees also brought cameras along to record the session. As the audition started, the only noticeable absence was the Silver Beatles' new drummer, Tommy Moore. No real explanation had been given for his tardiness, and some sources have suggested that Moore was more of a renter drummer hired specifically for the audition, and he was off collecting his drum set from a previous engagement. Other sources suggest he was having problems getting away from the bottle factory where he worked. Anyway, the audition was kicked off with Cass and the Casanovas, followed by Derry and the Seniors, and then Jerry and the Pacemakers. After the first three groups, Parnes called for a break to compare notes. And during the break, John nervously approached Billy Fury to ask for an autograph. A photograph taken at the time has star Billy Fury sent a frame, but John can just be seen on the edge holding out a piece of paper for Fury to sign. The paper is covered with John's now familiar doodles. So for all his bohemian pretensions at this stage, John was still the starstruck 19-year-old rock and roll fan. The break over, it was the turn of the final two groups to audition. Cliff Roberts and the Rockers led off to be followed by the Silver Beatles. Alan Williams had moved his boys to last place in the hope that this would give Tommy Moore time to arrive. But as they took up position, there was still no sign of Moore. All the groups had performed in their flashy stage costumes, but the Silver Beatles were clad in basic outfits of black jeans, black shirts and matching tennis shoes. Another indication of their lack of local success and money to date was the fact that they had obviously borrowed equipment from the other groups. Photographs taken that day clearly show them using amps labelled with the name of another local group, the Pressmen. At the last minute, Johnny Hutchinson, the drummer from Cass and the Casanovas, agreed to provide the rhythm section. Photos taken as they went through their first few numbers show Hutchinson looking incredibly bored and a little embarrassed to be sat behind these amateur schoolboys. These photos have led some researchers to conclude that Hutchinson was the group's permanent drummer at this stage. The same photographs show John and Paul are out front giving it all they've got, with John adopting a Gene Vincent-like stance. Georgie slightly off to one side, concentrating on his guitar playing, and Stuart is stood far to John's right, turned sideways onto the watching impresario. Paul recalls that Stuart adopted this sideways stance at the request of the group. Quote, We'd asked Stuart to turn away slightly in case people noticed he wasn't quite keeping up. He'd be in A and we'd be in A flat, and we didn't want anyone to notice. Tommy Moore eventually arrived when the Silver Beatles were a couple of numbers into the set and took his place behind the drums. Judging from the photographs taken at this point, the number they sang was slower, with John and Paul harmonising close around a single microphone. Stuart had turned his back to the audience as he was struggling with the bass part, and this photo is probably the cause of the popular myth that Stuart always played with his back to the audience. After the audience was over, Larry Pars delivered his verdict. Cass and the Casanovas would back Billy Fury on his upcoming tour. According to Alan Williams, Billy Fury was in fact in favour of having the Silver Beatles, but was overruled by Parnes. Williams says that Parnes saw through Stewart's back to the audience routine and asked them to play another number without Stewart. John apparently refused, stating that he played with Stewart or not at all. Parnes has always refuted this account, saying that his problem with the group was Tommy Moore's late arrival and his age. This is a position that he has strongly defended over the years, even in threatening to sue Paul in 1982 after Paul made some adverse comments about the audition on the Desert Island Discs radio show. Others at the audition were also less than impressed by the Silver Beatles. Howard Casey, the lead singer of Derry and the Senior, said later, 
quote, I can't remember them being at the audition or what they played. Part 4, May 14th, 1960. Having failed to secure the Billy Fury tour gig, the Silver Beatles returned to the local scene. On May 14th, they played an unadvertised gig at the Latham Hall on Latham Avenue in Liverpool's Seaforth District as the Silver Beats, playing during the interval as an audition for local promoter Brian Kelly. Kelly was one of the several Liverpool promoters who used the practice of auditioning groups by having them play a set during a gap in the live show, thereby getting their services for free. The Silver Beats auditioned in the interval between performances from King Size Taylor and the Dominoes. Well, I got a baby. Crazy for me. Yeah, I got a baby. Won't let me be your baby, baby. Platter Bella. Baby, baby. Platter Bella. You're the baby. You're the baby for me, child. When she needs no coaching on making love, all she needs is the stars above. Oh, baby, baby, and the Deltones. Kelly was impressed enough to book the band for a paid gig on the 21st. Drummer Cliff Roberts recalled the Silver Beats as, quote, a scruffy bunch whose drummer hadn't bought his kit. And they asked to borrow Roberts' kit, but he refused it to lend, lend it to Tommy Moore, so he sat in with the Silver Beats and played six numbers with them. Four rock and roll standards that they or all the groups played and two originals they had to teach me. In the audience that night was Pete Best. The Best lodger Neil Aspinall later claimed that it was at this gig that two troublemakers followed Stuart Sutcliffe into the dressing room muttering things like get your hair cut girl and John and Pete went after them and a fight broke out and John broke his finger. Part 5, May 18th to 29th, 1960. However, Larry Parnes hadn't forgotten the Silver Beatles. On the 18th of May, he contacted Alan Williams and offered them a slot as a backing group for the Johnny Gentle tour of Scotland due to start on the 20th. This meant that the boys had to arrange things quickly. It was easy for John and Stuart to free up time as they were hardly going to any classes at the art college anymore. Paul persuaded his father that the tour would be a good experience before he went back to school to further his studies. George solved the problem by quitting his job as an electrician at the Blackers department store. Tommy Moore had a harder job freeing up his schedule and had to use some of his vacation time, much to the disgust of his girlfriend. The next day they were on a train to Scotland. The group's name had once again been the topic of discussion, as various people in the Parnes camp didn't like the connotations of the word Beatles. One of the first names proposed was Long John Silver and the Pieces of Eight, but a compromise was reached and the group stayed as the Silver Beatles, but the boys adopted stage names. Stuart went under the name Stuart de Staal, named for his favourite painter. George adopted Carl Harrison in honour of guitar hero Carl Perkins. Paul adopted the name Paul Ramone, perhaps the longest lived of the Beatles pseudonyms for Paul used the name again in 1969 when he assisted the Steve Miller Band on My Dark Hour. It's also been suggested that the quintessential punk band The Ramones named themselves after Paul's alter ego. There is some dispute as to whether John adopted the stage name of Long John for the tour. The rest of the group insists that John used the name, though he always denied it. He was so insistent that years later he sent the authors of the Beatles' illustrated record clippings from the time to prove his point. Unfortunately, the clippings actually related to a gig in Neston immediately after the group's return from Scotland and did nothing to clarify the issue. Johnny Moore refused to join in with the youthful role-playing. Johnny Gentle, also originating from Liverpool, and his real name was John Askew, and wasn't much older than the Beatles at 22, was less than impressed by the ensemble that got off the train in Alloa. When I first saw them, I wondered what on earth Parnes had sent me. However, 30 minutes of rehearsal were enough to convince Gentle that his backing group was something special. But not everyone was impressed. 
The Parnes tour manager, Duncan McKinnon, an elderly chicken farmer from Dumfries, immediately complained to Parnes on the phone about the scruffy look of the Silver Beetles and wanted them sacked. Gentle intervened and arranged for them to have more presentable look by donating a selection of black shirts to wear on stage. On the 20th of May 1960, the Silver Beetles made their professional debut at Alloa Town Hall, Scotland. Billed as Johnny Gentle and the Silver Beetles, they topped the bill supported by local ballad singer Bobby Rankins and the Alex Harvey Band. Alex Harvey eventually became a close friend of the Beatles during their Hamburg days and went on to be a successful rocker in his own right, most noticeably with the Boston Tea Party in 1976. Going to the Boston Tea Party, going to the party. Going to the Boston Tea Party, going to the party. Going to the Boston Tea Party. Red coats in the village, fighting in the streets. The running order that night established the pattern for the rest of the tour. The standard show routine was for the Silver Beatles to come on first and do six numbers. Johnny Gentle would then come on and do his spots. After he left the stage, the boys would conclude the show with another six-number set. Each set comprised mainly of rock and roll numbers such as blue suede shoes, rock and roll music, and long tall Sally. The following night, Johnny Gentle and the Silver Beatles travelled on to a gig at the Northern Meeting Ballroom Church Street in Inverness, Scotland. The venue was split into two halls. Performing in the main hall on the ground floor was Lindsay Ross and his dance band. While the Silver Beatles were consigned to the small upstairs hall, sharing a bill with Ronnie Watt and the Checkers Rock Dance Band. At the Inverness gig, Paul was asked for his autograph for the first time, and he wrote home excitedly to his father that he signed it for them too, three times. That same evening, the Silver Beats were advertised as the headline act at Latham Town Hall in Liverpool by Brian Kelly, who was unaware that they were in Scotland. Kelly was upset by the lack of notice from the group that he made sure that they didn't get any more gigs at his venues during the rest of 1960. Meanwhile, unaware that they'd closed off one potential avenue of employment back in Liverpool, the Silver Beatles were on the road to Fraserburgh in Aberdeen for a gig at the Dalrymple Hall on the 23rd. 
On the way to this gig, Johnny Gentle insisted on driving the tour bus instead of their regular driver, Jerry Scott, and promptly crashed into the back of a stationary Ford Popular occupied by two old ladies. The only casualty was Tommy Moore, who suffered a chipped tooth from a flying guitar case. Some accounts say he lost two front teeth and suffered a concussion. Moore was anaesthetised while his cut face and lips were stitched up. The promoter at the Dalrymple Hall was insistent on the number of musicians he'd booked performing, so the band dragged the semi-conscious Moore out of his hospital bed, still groggy from the effects of the painkillers, to play the gig. On the 25th, Johnny Gentle and the Silver Beatles played a gig at St Thomas Hall, Deeth. But perhaps of greater significance to the future career of the group was that back in Liverpool, the Cavern Club held its first evening rock and roll session, featuring Cass and the Casanovas and Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, featuring Ringo Starr, playing their last local gig before starting their Butlins engagement. Cavern owner Ray McFall's decision was based on pure business reasoning rather than any sense of remarkable foresight. Quote, A dozen or more suburban halls on the outskirts were flourishing. I decided to make the Cavern Liverpool's first city centre rock and roll club. At the time, I couldn't have dreamed of the destiny that lay ahead. To me, the introduction of rock and roll merely meant drawing in a separate and bigger crowd. The following night, the Cavern's future stars played a gig at the Forest Town Hall in Scotland. The Silver Beatles didn't receive any billing. The gig was advertised locally as Johnny Gentle and his group. They were also advertised as a dance band, with the dance being held from 9pm to 1am with an entrance fee of 5 shillings. The other act on the bill was Ricky Barnes and his all-stars. The meagre wages that were being paid had all but run out and didn't cover their expenses. In fact, the Silver Beetles had run out of money. They were so short of cash that they had actually slipped out of the Royal Hotel in Forest the following morning without paying their bill. George recalled that We were like orphans on that tour, with holes in our shoes and our trousers were a mess, while the Palms fellow, Johnny Gentle, had a posh suit and stuff. I remember trying to play with no amplifiers. We were crummy. We were an embarrassment. Although the tour was a disaster financially, it did consolidate their standing professionally. By this halfway mark, they were starting to outshine the headlining star who they were meant to be backing. Gentle was impressed enough to suggest to Larry Pars that he sign them. Pars at that time only managed solo acts and declined. Johnny used to phone me virtually every night and say, Come out to Scotland and see the boys. I've given them a spot in my act and they're doing better than I am. The tour was completed with gigs at the Royal Ballroom Leopold Street in Nairn on the 27th and at the Rescue Hall in Peterhead at Aberdeen on the 28th. During the tour, Gentle had been working on a song called I've Just Fallen For Someone and was helped out by John. Fallen for someone Someone's fallen for me And we love each other Love eternally She doesn't want me or am I Not does she want wealth untold She only wants to be near me To love, to have and to own We know that we'll get by Just wait and sing Just like this Song tells us the best things in life are free. The song was eventually recorded by Gentle under his later stage name of Darren Young. During the tour, George actually got friendly with Johnny Gentle, and Gentle persuaded George with an old stage shirt once worn by Eddie Cochran. George later recalled, That tour was our first faint hope of actually making it someday. By May 29th, the Silver Beatles were on the train back to Liverpool, while Johnny Gentle remained in Scotland. Paul, John, George and Stuart were under the impression that they would be returning to Scotland in July to back another Pans Act, but the tour never materialised. The journey home was miserable. The group were exhausted and broke. Tensions between the boys and Tommy Moore had grown worse since the accident, and by this stage he would only talk to Stuart, totally ignoring the others. 
To celebrate the return of his boys from their first tour, Alan Williams promoted them to the regular Monday night spot at the Jacaranda Club, but payment would only be in the form of free drinks of Coca-Cola and plates of beans on toast. In our next episode, with the first tour behind them, the Silver Beatles start to get regular gigs in and around Liverpool, leading to an invitation to play in Hamburg. But first the boys must find that most elusive of creatures, a permanent drummer. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Before They Were Beatles podcast. If you would like to leave a rating or a review on your favourite podcast platform, that would be great. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. The music heard in this episode included The Quarrymen, In Spite of All the Danger, Gene Vincent, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, Casey Jones and the Governors, Dizzy Miss Lizzie, King Size Taylor and the Dominoes, Clara Bella, Sensational Alex Harvey Band, Boston Tea Party, Johnny Gentle, Wendy, The Beatles, Rock and Roll Music, Lindsay Ross and his dance band, Title Unknown, Scottish Traditional Tune, Darren Young, aka Johnny Gentle, I've Just Fallen for Someone. You can find full versions of the music heard in this episode on the dedicated Before They Were Beatles podcast YouTube channel, for which I'll add a link in the show notes. If you would like to make a comment or ask a question, you can follow the podcast Twitter account at Before Beatles. You can find copies of the original Before They Were Beatles book on Amazon in hardcover, paperback and Kindle editions. I'm your host, writer and producer, Alan J. Porter. Stay well, stay safe and enjoy peace and love. The Before They Were Beatles podcast is a production of Megrin Entertainment, a division of 4J's Group, LLC.